Welcome to the School of the Word. This is Lesson 86 in our teaching series, As in the Days of Noah, titled Summary of the Book of Revelation, Part 21, Chapter 17, Religious Spirit. Our teacher is Alan Smith. Good morning, students of the Most High God. Good to be here this morning, looking at God's Word again. And uh, I'm very thankful just to be in good enough health to be here and to be able to enjoy the fellowship of the saints as we study around God's Word. That's the reason we're here is God's Word and His presence and His faithfulness to rejoice about the faithfulness of God. We're living in a world now, there's just not much faithfulness going on. Have you noticed? But the faithfulness of God is what continually gives us hope. And it's not a, it's a pretty good calculated hope. It's not just a happenstance hope. We kind of have calculated our risk walking with God. And I think it's a pretty good calculated risk. Matthew 24, 37, as in the days of Noah, so shall the, the, also the coming of the Son of Man be. We see on this verse of Scripture that when you woke up this morning hoping that the first thing was on your mind, could this be the day? I'm sure it was, but we'll not raise hands. That could it be the thing that's on our mind? Could this be the day of His coming? And of course, the emphasis there is that what's on our mind as the second coming of Christ and trying to keep our lives and our priorities in in proper order. We've been looking at the book of Revelation. There again, the four horsemen. And we've just been looking at the kind of going through. I've been hitting kind of some of the high spots of this book of Revelation to give us understanding of kind of where we are. Yeah, you like that picture? Uh, I want to start off here at Revelation 16 and, and verse 12. And I have promised we're going to get into the, this fifth white horse rider, which we've yet, I've just promised it so far, but that is the goal, is to get there. We could get there today, we'll see. But I want to start off here, we're out of the horseman, Revelation 6, 7, 8. I'm jumping over to 16, some of the in-between chapters there, you can read them if you want more details of what's happening. One or two of them is parenthetical unto the chapters. But here in Revelation 16, 12, and the sixth angel poured out his vial upon the great river Euphrates. And the water thereof was dried up. Uh, the way of the kings of the east might be prepared. And I saw three unclean spirits like frogs. You remember that plague before? Like frogs came out of the mouth of the dragon and out of the mouth of the beast and out of the mouth of the false prophet. For they are the spirits of devils working miracles which go forth unto the kings of the earth. Kings of the earth there is like governments. And the whole world together them to the battle of the great day of Almighty God. So we see this imagery here of that. Now, there's the great river Euphrates. That river was and is, and in biblical times was a great boundary. It was to the river Euphrates. You hear it spoken a lot. But it is also in in the scriptures here in Revelation 16. It says that in that day, right before that day, and in that day, that that river, it says, well, it'll dry up. And so that's just a little picture of that river today. Interesting, isn't it? You can do research on it. You can see it. I'm sure most of you have seen that the river Euphrates is it's drying up. I mean, not just, it's not like global warming, they're, they're saying. This one's really the water there's a lot of drought there, no water. But also another interesting thing I did not get into was there's supposed to be some angels bound up in this 
river Euphrates that when it gets down so low that it will, they'll be released. And there's a lot of different connections you could do there, but I'll not do it. There's a lot of sounds being heard around the earth today. They can't figure out where the sounds are coming from. Has anybody been aware of some of that stuff? But I could have went there, but it, we'd have been here another three weeks or four. So I refrain. If you want to do some research of your own, I, if you've got plenty of time, jump in. But anyway, this river has always been a boundary. It was the eastern boundary of Israel and the Roman Empire. Now, the Roman Empire and things that have been, Babylon and all of these things, have what has been has everything to do with what will be as it comes back around. So later in chapter 17, we see a strange figure appearing. There it is. You've got these beasts, and, and then there's a woman riding on the beast. It's, it appears probably, I'm in the 95 percentile, that probably is the Roman Catholic Church as an organization, not as individual people. And I refrain from that one. So you all need to be proud of me. Revelation 17, and there came out one of the seven angels, which had the seven vials, talked with me, saying unto me, come hither, I will show thee the judgment of the great whore that sitteth upon many waters. There's two great enemies to us as believers. Of course, the greatest one, I guess we could say, is the pits of hell, of darkness. We know that that's not a friendly foe. It's our enemy. The second greatest enemy is the religious spirit within the church. I hope you can test what I say. But there's nothing more ruthless and less forgiving than a religious spirit in the church. And uh, I'm in conversations about a, a situation out in Kansas City. I'll not call any names. And been a lot of conversations this past week with different leaders, different people on the situation in Kansas City. And my response to most of them, I have found myself saying, I believe Ted Bundy's got more forgiveness than a preacher has in the Christian church today. Not saying that the preacher's guilty or not guilty or whatever, but if a man's ever been strung up and hung and dead and more daggers thrown at him, Mike Bickle has been in Kansas City. And you said, Alan, are you defending any actions of Mike Bickle? What I'm defending is the grace of God. I don't know what you're defending. What I'm defending is the cross of Christ. I don't know what everybody else is defending. And they say, well, what about the standards of a leader in the church? I say, I'm all for it. But point me out one that hasn't, that's completed them all. And I've cited the Old Testament. Matter of fact, Rick Joyner, he came out with something about King David. And wow, Rick was really taken to task on his little, <laughs> good grief, is there a friend in Zion? And uh, he was really taken to task on his mentioning of an Old Testament scripture. And what he was beat up with was the New Testament scriptures. And, and I thought, well, you know, the grace of God is in the New Testament also. I know you got, you got the standards of a leader and all. And, you know, in the Old Testament, you had the Ten Commandments. We couldn't do that one. And so you get to the New Testament, you got the standards of leaders. And I, and I get all of that. If I could find one that hasn't failed, it's something. And it was cited that. I think the main thing that is needed here in the uh -huh. Oh, by all means, pray. Yeah, she said that she thought the main thing that was needed here. was and now. here. Oh, you want to pray now? Well, I mean, I will with you, but I just, that's how that spirit of religion. Yeah, but it's my, out. it's kind of my job to expose the spirit of religion. I will pray. I'm all for prayer. But what I'm doing is part of my job to the church at large is to expose, and I'm all for prayer. But I'm not for just prayer, okay? <laughs> I'm for prayer. But I'm also for, if we're going to be an exposure and exposing things, let's expose the religious spirit also. 
And so we will pray at the end of the teaching here. So what we have happening there is when you get into a religious spirit, and I understand some people may be uncomfortable even with me speaking that from this pulpit. I understand that. That's the reason they put me first. (laughs) They don't turn me loose in the second one. (laughs) To honor your request there, I'll stop and pray right now. Lord Jesus, we do love you. And we thank you for the power of your spirit. And Lord, we do believe in the grace of God. And Lord, it's our prayer that this church and these people would be a people that believes in truth and believes in a message of of the gospel, of the grace of God, that our understanding, there's not a person in the building that doesn't need the grace of God. It's our understanding that you've put people in place in the churches to look after some of these problems. And we understand some of us are to pray. Some of us are to put these things uh, to the church that the church might test it. And Lord Jesus, we do understand that we're living in a time that is, this time is it's a kind of a dangerous time, not that they all haven't been. But Lord, in this time, we do need your guidance of truth. We need your revelation of your word. And we need the forgiveness of the cross. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. But in this time, and you'll see in Revelation here, there's two things I was saying that there's two enemies here. One, we like to blame everything on Satan. In this situation in Kansas City, I think Satan's just sitting on the curb. And he's allowing the people of God to do the rest. I had one situation. I had the one guy was talking to me. And I told him I understood in the church, it appears to me that there's people been put into the church, just like this church, other churches, you have elders, you have leadership. And I am of the persuasion that this is not to be tried on Facebook or the internet. I'm under the understanding this should be with the leadership there, with Mike Bickle, and with those that are bringing accusations. I get all that. I've I've said on many councils like those. But personally, I think it needs to stay right there. I don't think it should have went any further than just right there. And then after it was dealt with and what the outcome is, then they would give a report, here's our decision on what's happening. Is In today's society, in the Western culture, we also bring that into the Western church. We have this idea that this is a democracy and the majority rules. If that's what you think, you need to get a copy of Trevor's book. I'll put this one on Trevor. (laughs) That's right, the Bible. And you'll see as he explains the theocracy. And when the church puts it out there for the world's opinion, it bothers me. And that's not, it shouldn't be that way. And so what happens is we're we're finding ourselves in situations that when it gets outside of the leadership to handle those problems, then it, can get, it gets into the public domain. Then the enemy has a tremendous leeway of speculation and all those things. My heart goes out to all of us. If you think you're sitting there with no guilt in your life, if you think that you haven't failed at the qualifications of the leader, of any leader, then we can get together and I'll show you the first place that you failed because we've all fallen, we understand that. But we all do have a standard that we follow in the church. Qualifications are in Timothy. But we also have a standard of the Word of God that we all want to live unto. We're living unto those things. But do we believe that there's forgiveness? And the answer is yes. Do we believe in restitution? 
do we believe in that people are to be restored? See, I, I'm not the type guy that believes in partial restoration. I don't see that in the scriptures. I just don't see it. I know demand, man will demand more than the scriptures. I get that. I mean, that man, that's what we do. We, it's just human nature. But it's the hardest thing for us to do is to fully restore. We'll partially restore, but we'll not fully restore. And I was asked even in this situation, my opinion, what would I say, what would I do? I said, there's no need me even entering the conversation unless the end goal is full restoration. I said, I won't enter it. If that's the goal, I'll enter the conversation. But I'd also say them the same thing for you in your life and for anybody's life. And you say, well, Alan, I don't, why would you say that? It's because I really believe this gospel. I really do believe it. And I can hear all of your minds thinking now, you don't think it, if he's guilty, he shouldn't have to do this. Or, I'm, I'm saying that's between the leadership of that church and Mike Bickle. I'm using that as an example of how the church in the world setting that we're in now, if we're put on public display, that's part of what's happening in the end times. And we need to be aware of that. And so to be able to trust God, to trust His Word, to trust leadership in the church, we're getting into a time that it's going to be of utmost necessity that we can do that, that we can trust leadership. And there's some information not everybody needs to know. And there again, I've been, I've been called on the carpet and everything else, and I'm all for doing that, but I can't see the... I go back to Noah got drunk one time and wasn't too cool, you know, wasn't the right thing to do. But the right thing to do was not to look upon him and cover his sin. So I'm in the idea, and I've done a good bit of it, and it comes later, we cover each other. You don't go pull the cloth off of each other in front of the world. We're to cover each other. And that's the reason this situation, my conversation's been to cover the church, the person, the person that are bringing these accusations, cover them, cover everybody. Nobody needs to know what they are or who they are and what's been said. Just leadership and just needs to be within that group. And I think we can have true prayer and true prayer cover if we understand that's what we're to do. Prayer is part of covering. It's a covering mentality. But for some reason, we think it's like the court systems that we have. You go to court and then we need to air everything to the world. And I'm like, I just don't see that as a biblical pattern. That's all. And you can say, well, Alan, what's that got to do with Revelation chapter 17? Actually, it has a lot to do with it, but I don't know why I segued it into it. You can see I've been into a lot of conversation, I guess. I tried to escape it, but you know, whatever. There it is. So we see that this, what's happening here, you have this, you see, the reason we have to be careful is accusations and accusing is going to be at an all-time high. Now, I'm not saying there can't be some truth in accusations, but I am saying this, just because the truth is in an accusation doesn't need, mean that that truth needs to be broadcast. That's all. It doesn't need to be, it needs to be kept within the family, within the household of God, because we're looking for everyone. If you lose sight, if we have a homosexual couple visit our church and sits in our pews, if we lose sight of full hope of restoration for that couple, and I'm not for running them off either. Boy, I am getting myself in trouble this morning. <laughs> I'm not for running them off either. I am in for full restoration of their situation. Now, am I for peddling their wares? No. Do I think it would need to be shut down? Yes. But would I keep them from coming? No. 
We're all sinners. It's just according how far you want to take your faith. If you can't come into this church house in any sin that you've been in this week, if you leave the presence of God out of this church house today and don't feel some conviction, woe be unto us. It just means we've created an environment that you can come in and sin and not even get touched. It's about all of us. We've all fallen short. We all need mercy and grace. And if we leave that thought, if we leave that thought, the religious spirit is taking hold of us. Now, maybe you don't want sinners in this room, but we won't be able to pay the power bill <laughs> if we make that a rule or just leave the check before you leave or whatever. We've got to find out what is it we really believe. I was, back when I had cancer and they gave me not long to live, and I asked the Lord if he, I want to meet him as clean as I could. One of the first, the very, not one of the first, the first thing he spoke to me was, Alan, I don't need you defending me. He said, who are you, the exact quote in my spirit, who are you to defend me? Trust me. Well, I thought that was a righteous thing. I'd split two churches over defending God. <laughs> and I was young. I split two churches before I was 30. And how many of y'all can say that? <laughs> I'm speaking to you about something that I've learned over the years. Surely the goodness of 71 years has some worth to it. Surely it does. And said, so, but God spoke to me, Alan, who are you to defend me? And I thought, well, I thought I'm supposed to defend your word. He said, no, you're to live my word. And what he spoke to me was, he said, I have people that'll defend my word, but won't read it. People that'll defend my word, but they won't read it. So I think that the church, and in the court of our, boy, you can tell I'm not going to get to where I'm at to today. But the point is, in this day, we're going to be tried to see who we really are. And if, if we had some type of antenna in those doors back there. And everybody walked in them, all of a sudden it shot your heart up on the overhead. And we put it on live streamed it so the world could see it. How many do you think we'd have here next week? <laughs> How many people would answer the call to preach if your life's going to be paraded around the world for everybody to judge? How many's going to answer that call? How many's going to answer the call to show up to church? We have a message. And that message is with repentance, you have full restoration. And if you're not careful, God will give you more than you had to start with. Talk to Job. Read his book, book of Job. That's the God we serve. But we're living in a time, we might have a few small disagreements with each other, but we're living in a time we better have each other's back. I'm telling you the truth. We're living in a time we better cover each other. We need to quit backbiting each other. We need to cover it's what we need to do. And we're living in those times that the accuser of the brethren is going to be wide open. Now, I am not saying that we haven't done anything to be accused of. I mean, I'd a whole lot rather be accused with the lies I had the truth. Because usually the accusation's not near as bad if they really knew the truth about all of us. That's a secret, okay? If our hearts were put on the overhead projector, I'm afraid the truth would be worse than any accusation that could come out of the pit of hell. So therefore... I am believing in a message of repentance, of restoration, not partial restoration, but full restoration. And I was in a situation, I really was in a church that pastor did something he shouldn't do and he got up before the church and he confessed it. And I asked the church, 
I said, I need to see if there's forgiveness. And I said, I got to have 100%. If it's not 100%, we're not doing it. Had 100% forgiveness. And I looked at the pastor. I said, okay, you're preaching next again next Sunday. He said, Alan, don't do that to me. Worst thing that pastor could have done was have to preach the next Sunday. But in that week, God met with him so strongly. He preached probably the best message I ever heard. He was full of appreciation of receiving the forgiveness of God. Incredible message. I think four people got saved, three or four. God's ways are not like our ways. This is a real gospel. The problem's not in God's forgiveness, it's in our forgiveness. And could it be that we actually hold the success of each other? Could it be that we hold the success of each other when we resist our criticism and we extend our love, hope, compassion, forgiveness? I'm just saying, let's don't join everybody else. Let's don't do that. Come on, let's, it's enough people doing that. I like to be more of a loner than that. <laughs> yes, let's be different. Now, in being different, when you have the true gospel of the grace of God that's in this book, there's not but one little thing you got to carry, and that's the true presence of God. Because in that situation I was talking about with that pastor, I got phone calls from everywhere. Al, I can't believe you did that. And I'll be very honest with you, as honest as I can be. It wasn't planned. It was as spontaneous as I am. <laughs> it's just spontaneous. I knew that's what the Lord said. And I shocked myself. That's a good thing about milking cows, though. I mean, if you lose your day job, you, I mean, as long as you got your day job, you're okay. <laughs> cows don't reject you. Now, they don't, they might poo-poo on you sometime, but they won't reject you. God's ways are so above our ways. It is so above our ways. Our systematic criminology does not meet at all the heart of God. It doesn't meet God's patterns. Now, the, I guess the only point I'm trying to say here is God has put elders in this church, other churches and leaders. And this church can get into problems or handle problems. And there's not an elder here that's not willing to listen to whatever anybody's got to say. The only hard thing here at this church is finding out who the elders are. <laughs> I suggested one time we put a picture in the foyer of every elder so people know, oh, my Lord, you'd have thought I said a bad word. It's important here that nobody's higher than somebody else. That's kind of a cardinal thing here. Everybody's the same. Nobody, as I said before, we don't like to put people higher than another person. We One we want to elevate is Jesus Christ and the work on the cross. I want to brag on Jesus that he can deliver me a pride of sin I want to brag on Jesus that he can set a homosexual free. I think a bad attitude's worse than homosexuality to get set free of because there's a whole lot more of it. It must be. And the religious spirit, listen, I understand the entanglements of me saying the religious spirit. You're just saying anything can go. Well, in one sense of the word, y'all have heard it said, when you're really walking with Christ, your want to's change, right? What you want to do changes. And if we don't get our want-to-do's changed, we're going to have problems. And because mankind's going to kind of do what he wants to do. But when we truly walk into communion with Christ, what we want to do changes. And I long for the day that if church starts at 9.30, at the parking lot's full at 8.30, this room's full at 8.30, that a team up here's practicing and everybody's out here already worshiping and praying. Why? Because our want-tos have changed so much that we, don't, we want every second we can get.
to be with the people of God. And I know there's some even watching online, you can't be here. But there's something special too about being here with the people of God. I know Jesus didn't have the internet, but when he called us all together to have the unity of the spirit together, there's a synergy of spirit that if homosexuals come in here and even me with a bad, I could have a bad attitude, walk in here and all of a sudden I'm convicted. Listen, I need that. I need it every Sunday. I need it bad because of this world we're living in as Christian believers, at least weekly, we need to be able to walk into that presence of God that kind of jerks us. And when you lose compassion for a sinner, it's because you've lost compassion for yourself. When you lose compassion for yourself, it's because pride is growing in your heart. No pride, high compassion, high pride, low compassion. And it's the compassion that the Spirit of Christ comes into this room. It comes in on the compassion of the believer. And I stand before you guilty of lack of compassion, if you will. I know I don't have the compassion. As being a farmer, I was young in my younger years, and you get a lot of cows and Calves and cows can be right aggravating. Number one, a cow's bigger than you are, so it's of necessity to be smarter than the cow. I've had times I was dumber than a cow. First herd of cows I bought, I was 19 years old, and I bought them in Harmony, and I'd drive back and forth milking them every day as I was building my little milk barn. And at that barn, he milked one cow on each side. That's how little the barn was. And so I had a new heifer over there with those cows that I bought, and I was trying to get that heifer in the barn. It's amazing how a heifer does not want to go in that barn door. I had a two before, and I was all popping that heifer and everything. It wouldn't go in there. The old farmer I bought the cows from, he was over there on a five-gallon bucket. And finally, I was out of breath, and he was tired of watching me, and he said, Alan, come over here a minute. He got another bucket, and he sat beside me. He said, now listen, that cow weighs 1,200 pounds, and you might weigh 150. It's bigger than you are. Your only hope is you're smarter than idiots. He got a bucket of feed, went up there and put it in, a little on the ground, put it in the door. Now, he did that first, and then we talked, and I sat there and watched that heifer go in the barn. Didn't have to hit it, didn't have to do nothing. So he proved to me that I can be dumber than a cow. <laughs> I guess you can tell that's never left me. <laughs> I proved it to myself so many times. Thinking I'm smart, I'm dumb. If you think you, you can... The way we know we're working under the power and the anointing is if you have us come in here as sinners, the anointing of God doesn't push us. It doesn't beat us with a two before. It pulls us. It calls us. As Christians, we're to have compassion. We're terrible judges. We're so bad, the Bible warns us against it. We're terrible judges. We don't do it well. So it leaves us, but with one hope. And that is we can be smarter than our sin. We can be smarter than our stupidity. The cow to me represented the animal nature within man. God's created us human with a human and with a spirit. And he's asking us to be smarter than this animal nature that's in us. You can beat each other at the two before and you will not go in that door. Homosexual couple can come in here. And just as sure as I've said that, it's probably going to happen. Y'all do know that. Are you uncomfortable yet? But the question is, do we have the compassion of the cross of Christ, that it'll draw sinners unto repentance. And you can't get up here and beat with the two before all the time and think you're going to get anything done. It's a presence of God. 
It's the presence of Christ is the only thing that's going to work in this book of Revelation time. It's the only thing. We just have to make decisions. Whose side are we on? The two befores or the bucket of feed? I can tell you which one works. Now, maybe that doesn't mean a thing to y'all, but I'm constantly in this turmoil, just like this week and talking with other leaders, constantly in this battle within me. I think it was uh, Robert Mearns that said, you're always fighting with that little lawyer. Isn't that Robert said that? Everybody's got a little lawyer in them. And actually, Robert will be with us here in a few weeks. 29th, Robert Mearns will be with us to speak. But I think it was Robert, correct me if I'm wrong, that made the statement, we all got a little lawyer in us. And we're having to fight with that lawyer. And the lawyer tends to be more religious. And I've, this week, I guess it's with frustration that I've said what I've said this morning, but you can test what I say. I'm frustrated because I want, there's part of me wants to be religious too. There's part of me that wants to carry it too before. If no other reason, it caused me a lot of conversations this week. But there's part of me that wants to do that. But then there's this voice. It's just in my heart. They keep saying, Alan, you've already done this one. It's my love and it's my compassion. It's prayer. You've already done this one. Leave it. So my contribution in conversations is let's, let's leave it to those leaders there and let's cover them all. Let's cover the sin. Let's cover it. Let's allow them to do what God's put them there to do. In the meantime, we're going to cover those that are in the body of Christ. Because you see, it gets completely out of hand. The last things that I was asked about, which is even up to last night, was, well, we've always known there's a bunch of false prophets out there. That whole prophetic movement, the whole thing's false prophets. I got a dozen on the false prophets of Kansas City. I'm like, how do you get there without tremendous accusation? There again, makes no difference if there's total innocence or if there's total guilt. It's still, we operate under the same answer. It's the same answer. We cover each other. We love each other. And why in the world the church of Jesus Christ so enjoys exposing our sin to the world? I just don't know. makes me sad, very sad. Whatever's true, let's hold it and let's pray. Let's love because you're going to have people coming through those doors that the Lord would love to draw here. There's a lot of sinners God would love to draw here if he could just trust us with them. I've said this before and I've got to hush, but there's a friend of mine name was Doug Mayberry, and he sold drugs, dope, alcoholic. He'd make a sailor blush the way he talked. And um, so he got married and thought it'd be a good thing that he'd come to church. So Jeff Rollins, who it was, Jeff would go get Doug out of jail on Saturday night and say, all right, Doug, you gotta come, I'll come get you, but you got to be sitting on front row church Sunday morning. And Doug would weep and cry to want to be free of the addiction of alcohol and drugs and his lifestyle. You couldn't get anybody any more desperate. And Jeff, and I think this was wisdom, said, Doug, I don't know what to do for you. I don't have any great words of wisdom. But what the Lord's telling me to tell you, you come sit on that front row. And if you'll sit there long enough, God's going to meet you. He sat there over a year. I bet you Jeff got him out of the jail 30 times. They got to where they, he'd just sit in the lobby until Jeff come picked him up. <laughs> they didn't even lock him up. He was like Otis on, on Mayberry. But one day, one Sunday, the Holy Ghost hit that man. I never seen anything like it. He just come to the altar and just laid down. Well, it's like he kind of halfway was knocked down. and He laid there through the whole service. Jeff, he was laid down. Well, I didn't know if he was just 
I didn't know what he was doing. After Jeff got done and we dismissed, he was still laying there. Well, we got a little worried about him. He wouldn't come too. Then we shook him, kind of set him up. He wouldn't come too. So we thought we was going to call EMS or take him to emergency room. And then he, he said a little something, like he's coming around. And he said, no, it's God. It's God. We picked him up, hauled him to the car, took him home, hauled him upstairs and put him in the bed. And the next morning he come to, just as set free as you could be. Now, I can't figure that out. I mentioned to you last week of this, these great miracles that I saw. The truth is, they didn't nobody do nothing. It's just the presence, the Holy Spirit was so in the place that the Holy Ghost took over. You didn't have no superstars. They didn't nobody have a special laying on of hands. It's just that the presence of Christ has permeated that place. And because the presence of Christ was there that Sunday with Doug, God touched him, knocked a slobber out of him, and set him free. Now, there's not a formula for that. There's not a special prayer. The thing that I've seen in common, and that whenever I see it really happen, is the presence of God is there in such a way that sin cannot hardly be in the room. I'm not standing up here trying to say, you can tell that's something special. I'm just trying to be truthful. And what we're looking for is the presence of God to be so saturated in this room that sin, that sickness, might I say, that anything that's contrary to the presence of Christ could not stay in here. When that happens, you'll find yourself running to this place. You'll find yourself running to it. I just raised the question, I don't think we're there yet. But I know where I think we need to head. And if you lose the forgiveness, full forgiveness, full restoration unto all humanity, you'll not get there. That's the conclusion of Revelation chapter 17. <laughs> Let's stand. Lord Jesus, we love you. We thank you for your word and your truth. Well, Lord, I've done it again. I just got to run in my mouth. But Lord, I pray that you can use something that was said, that it would build up your kingdom. I pray, oh God, that something that was said, that we would be aware that we would all in this room draw on heaven, that all of our hearts, oh God, draw on heaven. Let us draw on you that you might be drawn into this room, into this place in a, in a way that's not normal. I think they did happen something like that in Acts chapter 2, a prophecy of Joel. Lord, if you've done it then, you can do it again. Lord, we recognize our need and we want to draw on heaven that you'd fill this room in a way that would bring honor and glory to you for we'll not all be here long. Lord, we know we'll experience you when we get there, but we want to experience you now so we can talk about it. When we're in heaven, we can say, do you remember the day God visited us at New Life and he just knocked the slobber out all of us and we'd never been so knocked and been so happy at the same time. Be with us, Lord. Be with Trevor as he brings the message. In Jesus' name, amen and amen.